Hey guys, I'm Wesley Rashid. Thanks for tuning in to the Tech Startup Collective. It's in this podcast we explore some of the insider tips and some of the finest talking points from today's brightest tech entrepreneurs. Today, we have the founder of Beam, Alex Stephanie, who is also ex-CEO of Just Park and an author in his own right. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. How are things with you? Really well. For a bit of context and for the benefit of the listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into tech? Sure. So I left university back in 2004. That makes me feel quite old now. And back then, tech wasn't really a thing, not like it is today anyhow. So I think Google had an office in London, but it was pretty tiny. And the only people I knew that were going into tech, if you could call it that, were people that were studying computer science, which was like literally a tiny number of people. And I was studying literature and it didn't cross my mind for a second that I could ever be working in tech. I assumed that I would be doing something like being a lawyer, which which is exactly what I did because I thought that was the sort of thing that people who did literature went and did. And I did a couple of years at a big international law firm and then I did a bit of consulting and they were I think really fun experiences that you know, kind of taught me a lot of basic things and turned me from a kind of sort of really scrappy student into someone that could actually kind of do stuff in a kind of office context but I felt that it wasn't quite kind of aligning with my own sort of creativity really. I think one of the things that I sort of learned at university is you can either you kind of at a fork in the crossroads you can do something that is really creatively fulfilling or you can do something that pays you money and that you sort of have to choose between those things. And when you're saddled with debt coming out of university, you think, right, I just kind of need to go and be a management consultant or a banker or a lawyer or something like that. And then what I realized quite a few years later was that actually with technology, you could potentially have your cake and eat it. You can actually earn a decent amount of money, but you can also do something that's really kind of creatively fulfilling. So I guess I began to slowly realize that I had one moment when I got a smartphone and I was actually quite late onto the smartphone craze. And I turned it on and it was a little bit like that moment in Pulp Fiction when the John Travolta character opens the suitcase and his face just lights up. And it was a little bit like that when I turned on this very crusty um, Galaxy smartphone and it just my face lit up and I just knew that it was going to change everything. And it massively excited me. I I couldn't stop using the thing like for the next month or so. And I kind of knew almost immediately that I was going to work in tech. So I started kind of applying for startups and one thing led to another. And before I knew I was working in the tech scene. Have you thought about the way people approach you in tech and how has that brought you into the tech startup community? Well, when I was thinking about um, getting into startups, one of the things I was doing was just sort of speculatively getting in touch with people on LinkedIn and email and I think occasionally Twitter. And I kind of expected people to not really want to engage with me at all. Like who, you know, I wasn't completely, I still pretty much am, but I mean, I was in even more of a nobody then. And um, I uh, was just getting in touch with people saying, hey, you look really interesting. Do you want to get, you know, a coffee or a tea? I'll come to you and it'll be like 20 or 30 minutes out of your day. You know, hear my details. And I expected pretty much everyone just to ignore these messages. But it turns out that people in tech are generally quite open to conversations, which is a really nice thing. And enough of those people got back in touch and met me that I thought, actually, you know, this is a really welcoming sector to move into. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence. Did you think that kind of changed your perspective? I mean, I'm just trying to link it to, so you're a CEO now and you were CEO of Just Park and your advisor. 
how important do you think it is to one perhaps see the big picture go beyond tech and two actually have a tech background to build a successful company in terms of seeing the big picture i think you need to really understand the problems that you're solving for your customers you know whatever or whoever they are and i think that whatever business you are in that remains the case and um you know people will probably sort of overestimate the the techiness of the tech business if you know what i'm saying like especially in london where actually a lot of tech businesses are more like kind of digital product businesses there are not that many pure tech heavy businesses and i suppose to answer your second question kind of along those lines yeah if you are ceo of a really deep tech business i think it's probably pretty difficult to not be technical but for most businesses in the tech sector at least in london it's a nice to have you know, I think there's one thing actually being deeply technical and another thing kind of being able to talk the talk and actually understanding the fundamentals. And that I think is something that I do have. And most people have just been knocking around the tech sector for long enough have as well. Okay, let's talk about Beam a little bit. For the benefit of the listeners, maybe talk about what the company does and why solving this problem is so important to you. So there are more than 300,000 homeless people in the UK a huge number of people. Now, these people are predominantly not sleeping on the streets. A relatively small number of that 300,000 are sleeping in the streets. They're predominantly in what's called temporary accommodation. So they're in homeless hostels and shelters and places like that. Phenomenal. So there's a huge number of people. The number has grown by about 60% since 2011. And of that number, it's about 126,000 kids. So we really have a growing and significant kind of underclass of deprived people in the UK. And the question really is, what are we going to do about it? We think that people actually want to solve this problem and that we can use tech to help people solve this problem. So what we do at Beam is we are really a completely new way for people to come together and be a long-term solution to this problem. And Beam works by crowdfunding employment training for homeless people. And so what we're doing is really empowering the homeless people, these people predominantly in hostels, as I mentioned, to get trained up in all kinds of brilliant careers and get into jobs. And we're also empowering you listening to this podcast right now to be part of the solution by going to the website, just by Googling Beam. And there you can meet some homeless people who are looking to train up, get into work, and you can donate towards their campaigns and you can help them become a plumber, electrician or whatever they want to be. We've obviously experienced that firsthand, right, working with you, and it's been a pleasure so far, and I'm sure it will continue to be. How have the public received what you're trying to do and what you stand for so far? Because ultimately, this is quite a new concept. Yeah, it is a new concept, but I think it's tapping into something that a lot of people feel, which is a desire to make a long-term difference and to see their impact, to really, when push comes to shove, make a smart investment in someone's future. And that's kind of what it comes down to, really. So, you know, rewind a, a year, year and a half, I was someone with some money in my pocket thinking, how can I actually do something really smart with this money to materially change someone's life for the better? And the model that seemed obvious to me as an entrepreneur was crowdfunding. Because if I can put in a fiver and Wesley can put in a fiver and everyone else can put in a bit of money, then we can actually group that money together and really change someone's life. And that's what we're doing with Beam. But it's actually more than just funding for someone to go through training. It's really building a new support network for them. So the average number of people who have funded a campaign um, last time I checked, which was about two days ago, was 163. 
And really, this is just the same as your mate running the London Marathon on Just Giving and a bunch of people coming together and writing nice messages, except that the people coming onto Beam need this self-confidence and self-esteem so much more. And so for people coming through the model, that is 163 people who are right behind them, who are showing that they care, who are showing that they're part of that person's team, really. And that has enormous benefits in terms of self-belief and confidence. And this is a validated idea as well, because you've got charities that are invested in this. The way that people come onto the platform is that they're recommended by charity partners. And we have more than 10 charity partners. So some very big charities that you'll know, like St. Mungo's, Thames Reach, um, House of St. Barnabas, and some smaller charities as well. And uh, we're also, I think, you know, more importantly, proving that the model works because we're getting people through training and into work. And that's really, really gratifying. So one of the the stories that came out this Sunday was kind of all over Sky News about one of our members, a guy called Joe, who's trained up what's called a crane rigger. So it's basically a technical job working on building sites with cranes. And he's now working on the Northern Line extension. I was saw him last weekend when we, when we did the, the filming for Sky. And the transformation in his self-confidence, the improvement in his personal relationships is just really, really amazing to see. It must be amazing. You must see some great stuff. Perhaps you can describe maybe one extreme high and maybe an extreme low. I mean, for us, this is all about the impact that we're having. That's why we do it. So, you know, the extreme highs will be always to do with members, as we call them, progressing through the model. So to mention, you know, Joe, I just mentioned, you know, it was really, really pleasing when we saw that he is now, so he'd raised about 1,100 pounds. And part of the model is that people pay forward the amount that they raise to future um, people coming through the platform. And so it's really exciting when we see Joe is actually in a really good job now and in good living and is paying forward that amount. It's also really exciting when other people are in work. I mean, each time someone gets into work, Pat is another member who got into work a couple of weeks ago. It's also a construction role. The guy who's on the homepage, Tony, he's just finished his training. So it's a really serious qualification he's got. He's City and Guild's accredited electrician. And he's a few months away from getting a, you know, a really, really awesome job as a, as a qualified electrician. Um, so all of these, all of these massive highs, um, I think massive lows. There's no massive low that I can think of so far, touch wood. Um, I think it's really just about how you deal with continual pressure of the responsibility for you know working with vulnerable people who put their faith in you and also the faith of the public so there's about 1400 people who've now funded bean campaigns we give them real transparency over where their money goes so we know that if we don't get results for our members 1400 people are going to know about it they can follow the exact progress of every member through the model and i think it's just doing something very hard with very little you know so this is kind of like launching a marketplace, which is generally considered to be one of the hardest types of online business to start, and a services organization working with very complex individuals at the same time with very little money. It's very exciting, but it's exhausting. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Keeping on the topic of you, Alex, you're also an author of a book called On the Sharing Economy called The Business of Sharing. Yeah. So for the listeners, can you give us a synopsis of what's contained in the book and what led you to write it in the first place? Sure. So The Business of Sharing is about the sharing economy. I was asked to write it by Macmillan. And the idea behind the book was really this is kind of like an entrepreneur's view of this new 
kind of in inverted commas economy or this new group of kind of high growth tech companies that are taking kind of neighborly transactions of people letting, you know, renting out their spare room or borrowing each other's cars or or whatnot and actually kind of taking them to real scale. And so the way the book is structured is down into all the different sort of stakeholders in this economy. So there's a chapter on investors, a chapter on entrepreneurs and governments and consumers and so on and so forth. And in each chapter, I kind of get stuck in to the people involved. So in the entrepreneurs chapter, I'm kind of interviewing co-founders of Airbnb and Zipcar and blah, blah, car. In the investors chapter, it starts with me pitching Just Park to Sequoia Capital In the government's chapter, I talk about going to a sharing economy roundtable at Downing Street. So that's kind of the way the book is is structured. And the idea is that hopefully by the time the reader gets to the end, they have this kind of really 360 degree view on the sharing economy. I guess the burning question is, are you planning to uh, maybe write uh, a book on starting a social impact business? Um, (laughs) uh, I'm going to just kind of push that to one side for the moment. Thanks very much, Rosie. I would actually love to, I think I've just kind of dived into this world that, you know, I didn't know much about in terms of sort of social enterprises and, and charities and homelessness. And it's been a bit nuts, but I've learned loads and, you know, I have, I think, a uh, you know, a bunch of ideas about how we can solve some problems, but, um, yeah, maybe uh, a few years time. I'll get back to you. How different has it been building this kind of business, this social impact business versus Just Park? I mean, at the end of the day, we're still trying to solve problems using technology and processes and we're trying to build a brand and we're trying to get PR and there's a bunch of things that are the same. I think probably the biggest difference has been around the financing. So business like Just Park, it's venture capital backed. We'd also raise money from a corporate venture fund, raise money from an angel, and we did a crowdfunding round. So we kind of had a real breadth of investors. But all that said, it's relatively clear how you finance a kind of a scalable tech startup. Whereas for a social impact business, it's a much more sort of nascent area and people are still working out how these businesses should be financed. And that you know could include you know, grants and debt and equity. And there are all kinds of players in this space. And right now it's an emerging space. You know, we'll have to sort of think on our feet, I suppose, in terms of how we finance it. The long and short is it's a much harder organization to finance than just Park. But I think that, um, well, I hope that, that we will manage. But I would say that that's where the biggest single difference and also the biggest challenge lies. You were featured in The Guardian, actually, and you, you mentioned it earlier in this episode that homelessness has risen to 60% since 2011. So talk to the listener about how Beam works and what it does to help the homeless. We have partnerships with more than 10 homelessness charities. They recommend individuals to the platform who are not just willing, but you know, excited really to train up, to get qualifications and to get into work. We meet them. Uh, there was a sort of three-way meeting with the charity, with the individual and with Beam. And we build a very personalized employment plan for them and also a budget. And we think at that point about all the financial barriers that exist in their life. So it might be training, but it might also be your transport or childcare. And we put those on the budget as well. So what we end up with is a crowdfunding campaign with this budget, with this kind of employment plan. We call that a journey and also a story. And the story is written by the individual and it's really their space to 
tell the world about themselves. And we do all of this in a sort of very positive way. I think homelessness is often considered a very kind of depressing problem. And it's very tragic in, in many ways, but we also think there's quite a lot to celebrate and be positive about things like the talents and aspirations of the people we work with. And so we try and put a very positive spin on things because we believe that there's fantastic people on our platform and fantastic people out there in the world who want to be part of the solution. And then we crowdfund the money. We funded hundred percent of our campaigns so far. And we support the individual through the training and into work. And as I mentioned before, ultimately, most of the members, so far all of the members, have opted to pay forward the amount of money they've raised to future members coming through the platform. What ignited that spark that said, right, I want to start up Beam and come up with that concept? Well, I'd spent a long time just getting kind of slowly frustrated about my sort of inability to, I guess, kind of really directly and transparently support people who needed it. I had one particular encounter with a homeless man at my local tube station where he was telling me that he's illiterate and kind of really described how ashamed he felt of being illiterate. And he was kind of, you know, there was tears in his eyes and it was a really, really sad situation. But I was just looked across to the side of him and there was a massive stack of newspapers and then there were kind of just like hundreds of people walking past us while we were having this conversation and just thought, this is crazy. Here is someone that really needs help. And there are hundreds of people walking past him who could help. At least one of these people would help. That's almost guaranteed. They're all kind of living you know, very, very close to each other. And so we have a situation where there are loads of people that need help. And actually, there are plenty of people that do want to help. But there's no intermediary that sits in between those two groups that actually make it safe and easy to help. Now, where is the app on your phone that makes it safe and easy to change someone's life in one minute? You know, that is what we're really trying to build here. And it starts with, you know, crowdfunding, but we can ultimately layer on kind of lots of other services as well. You know, every day we're getting, you know, loads of requests for, can I volunteer? Can I provide X, Y, or Z? But for the time being, it's really about kind of building, scaling this model of um, helping people train up and get into work. You're working with a number of charities now. Yeah, more than 10. How, yeah. did you, how did you manage to get them to your way of thinking, I suppose? We presented on Beam and then inevitably they have lots of questions, answer their questions. And obviously it gets easier as you begin to sign up more and more charities. Sure. But at the end of the day, they want what is best for their clients. And their clients are able to typically access much larger sums of money on the Beam platform than internally with their charity. So though some charities may have bursaries, usually these are for relatively small sums of money, whereas someone can come onto the Beam platform and they can raise thousands of pounds if we feel that is necessary for them to transition into stable employment. So yeah, it's, training can be a major cost, but for single parents who are the biggest kind of constituent of temporary accommodation, childcare is incredibly costly. And what gets us kind of very excited is that in a city like London, there are tens of thousands of single mums who just don't believe they have any professional future. And actually they do. They can come onto Beam and we can raise money for them to train up and earn a really good living, move right up the career ladder. And as part of that, we will raise money for their children's childcare. 
yeah, that's kind of uh, what we're working on. Just interestingly, why crowdfunding? Is there like a bigger play here to make people more aware around the benefits of crowdfunding? Well, I mean, crowdfunding as, you know, it's it's not... We'll make it make people aware of this crisis, that, that it exists, that it's real. You know, I mean, cra- crowdfunding is, is kind of, you know, bandied around and sort of a bit hipster. And, you know, that's not obviously why we're interested in it we think is a particularly good model to solve these problems and let me tell you why so first you've got to ask yourself what are the causes of homelessness because we've got to understand the causes if we're going to try and fix these things so you go onto google and you ask google what the causes of homelessness are and you'll get answers back like uh, mental breakdown and drug addiction and alcoholism and bereavement and domestic abuse and a series of other things of that of that order um we don't agree with that at all. We don't think those are causes of homelessness. We think those are triggers. If you look at the cause of homelessness, it's actually just one thing for the most part. It's a lack of scaffolding in people's lives. Okay. Now, what is that scaffolding? Well, that scaffolding is a couple of things. First, it's training and education that creates economic opportunities. And secondly, it is positive support networks. And it's that scaffolding that makes some people resistant to some of those triggers. It makes them able to deal with addiction or domestic abuse or mental breakdown or or so on. And so really the question is not how do you solve for those triggers because we can't stop mental breakdown and sadly we can't stop things like domestic abuse, but we can, we think, build scaffolding for people, okay? And we do that obviously through this crowdfunding model, which I think is very uniquely well-suited. So we can crowdfund the skills, the employment training, one half of the scaffolding and we can also build the support networks from people who have funded the employment training so really we get kind of both elements of this scaffolding in one go so you know that's why we think it's um you know it's a kind of brilliant model to build scaffolding for people both on an individual very personalized basis but it's also something that we think can scale and help millions of people just regarding sort of the beam platform it's always this concept of fulfillment is there a danger that some people don't reach their targets whilst others just steam ahead so we got that question a lot in the early days. And if you look at the average crowdfunding platform, a lot of the campaigns fail and it's very often quite binary. So you'll have some campaigns that are massive success stories and others will just like sink like a stone. And obviously we always wanted to avoid that. And Beam is very different for a couple of reasons. The first is that we bring people onto the platform in a very controlled way. So we aim to have a 100% success rate, which is what we have so far. We are partly able to do that because we bring people on in a gradual fashion. And the other reason, probably the bigger reason, is that a big difference between Beam and other crowdfunding platforms is that on Beam, a lot of people, in fact, the majority of people fund every campaign. So they made what's called a split donation. And that donation goes out equally to every single member. You can give once, like one off, or you can give on a monthly recurring basis. And uh, about 290 people give on a monthly recurring basis that's growing by more than 50% month on month. And what that means is obviously that campaigns kind of fund together. They move out gradually. If someone's giving 20 quid a month and there are six campaigns like there are today, six live campaigns, that 20 quid when it's charged to the card will be split evenly six ways. So that's really our way of ensuring that no one is left behind. It's working very well so far. And in fact, what we see is a real camaraderie between the members. They're often asking about each other. Quite often they will meet up in various ways. And people are not nervous about their campaign's funding. They're just excited as they see their campaign funding. So what happens after, you know, the members have completed their training, they paid forward, 
what happens after that point? Well, they're sort of through the whole process, yeah, getting on with their lives and they are hopefully inspiring other people to follow in their first steps. One thing we'd like to do is build a system whereby people who have successfully got into work through B and basically are evangelists. But we don't want someone to be a B member for the rest of their life. You know, we don't want people to be defined by their homelessness. For someone, it's just a kind of an unfortunate period that they're going through. We'll get them through this period as quickly as possible and into a well-paid job and away from welfare benefits. And then off they go and, you know, can sail away into the sunset. What would you say to critics of crowdfunding who in the past has criticised the likes of, say, Space Hive, for example, you know, which is well supported by the London mayor? But uh, I read in The Guardian, for example, they were talking about privatisation masquerading as democracy. What would be your point addressing those critics? Well, I mean, I don't think that most of these crowdfunding platforms, including Beam, have any particular political agenda. I think we are interested in solving problems and bringing innovation to public services. So I think that's the reality here that we are entrepreneurs trying to solve problems that currently are big and growing and very much in need of innovation. And this is something that the government's recognizing. So our biggest grant has come from the mayor and uh, increasingly local authorities want to talk to us and learn from us and collaborate with us. What is very exciting is that the public sector is looking to collaborate with tech startups and smart people in the public sector are saying, look, we can't solve all these problems on our own. Some of them will take technology and you know, we've got to know what we're good at and what we're not good at. And you know, historically, government is not the best type of organization to you know, release technology quickly and cheaply. It's just not set up to do that. It never, never has been. So, you know, really for us, this is about everyone playing to their strengths. This is about the government playing to its strengths. This is about startups playing to their strengths and the charity sector playing to their own strengths. And of course, the great British public being empowered to play to their strengths as well, which is, you know, generosity, a desire to connect, a desire to see greater social mobility and equality in society. What's been the most satisfying moment so far? The nature of an entrepreneur is to sort of never be satisfied. So I think that there are moments you enjoy, but so often you achieve something and then you're just thinking, next play. Um, which is probably a bad thing. It's probably a reflection on my personality, but I mean, you're so, sometimes you feel so up against it. I'm shaking my head whilst you say that, going, yeah, you, yeah, okay. You know, you, you get to 10, you immediately stick a zero on the end. It's got to be 100. You get to 100, 1,000, 10,000, a million. It's kind of the way I think most entrepreneurs think, and it's what drives us and why we're probably such weirdos. So, you know, I think probably most entrepreneurs like me don't enjoy these moments of satisfaction enough. But, you know, I think with with Beam, if I had to pick a few, it's, you know, when all of these milestones are reached. So it's when we first validated that we can fund the campaigns, when we first validated that people can you know, complete their training, that people can get into work, all of these kinds of pivotal moments, I suppose, as we began to kind of validate the hypothesis. I suppose that when you do get a chance to take a step back and, and look at look at what you've achieved, <laughs> they mean to myself. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I guess just having that perspective, you kind of realise actually, you know, you've achieved some great things. One of the things that I'm most satisfied about and and proud of is the team that we've built working on this. So really, really awesome people. Without whom, beam would not exist um, and would certainly not exist in the kind of uh, the kind of level of execution that it's currently at um, you know right across the board in particular 
guy called Seb, who looks after what we call the member support part of Beam. So actually working with our members and supporting them on their on their journey into employment. And then on the tech side, a guy called Julian, who's built just the most phenomenal application for us uh, in an incredibly short space of time. So for me, the job of a CEO is ultimately to bring the best people together and get them aligned around a, a single vision. Um, and, uh, you know, for me, that is the ultimate satisfaction is to be able to attract and work with such awesome people. So I guess a big factor of that is like culture is so important, isn't it? In a scaling company, particularly when you're starting up. So how do you select the right talent? Well, I've always tried to sort of hire according to three criteria and they are, you know, one, someone who is first and foremost passionate about what you're doing. And there's various ways you can try and assess that passion. Two, startup hardened. So someone that has spent time probably in a startup or if not a startup, a kind of really uncertain environment where they've had to get used to uh, risk and uncertainty and thinking on their feet and all the rest. And then the third thing is what I call high performance environment. So someone who has seen excellence, it might be a top accountancy company or it might be playing, you know, football at a really high level or for the you know, England chess team or, or whatever, but they've been exposed to some people who are kind of like just really excellent at what they do. You know, those are sort of the things that I look for. And then, yeah, building culture, it's just, a, I guess it's a, it's an ongoing process that needs to happen organically, but definitely having strong mission, a purpose, strong core values, I think are really fundamental. And we've been doing quite a lot of work this quarter on that. So what's in store for the future of being? So at the moment, we're rolling out what's called Your Impact, which is a section of the website where you can see exactly um, the progress of every single B member that you've supported. So each member has a status. It might be funded in training and work and so on. And we will let you as a supporter know exactly where each member is along their journey. And I'll also add that, you know, this isn't going to work for 100% of people. And if it doesn't work for someone and we've had one campaign that's been withdrawn so far, again, we'll be honest about that. And we will tell you that this person hasn't got through training or they haven't got into work. And we think that's really important. And also we will include in that a breakdown to the penny of where your money's gone. So not only do we break down campaigns at a budget level, but we'll also tell you where your money has gone at campaign level as well. Thanks so much for coming in, Alex. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Cheers, Wesley. Just one final comment from you and for the listeners. Is there one tip that stands out? I mean, I would say to kind of steal an Apple tagline, just think different. A lot of people talk about being, you know, contrarian, but I think one of the things that as a sector we need to do more of is think differently. I think there is a real herd mentality in tech whether it is everyone jumping onto cryptos as the huge, new, shiny, exciting thing or, or whatever it is, these things kind of oscillate. And, you know, generally by the time you've spotted the bandwagon, it's too late. And I would say to anyone listening to this, if you're thinking of starting or joining a business, don't be afraid to explore uncharted territories because I think that's where the, the, you know, the most additive work um, can be done. Well, guys, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in to the Tech Startup Collective. I'm Wesley Rashid with Alex Stephanie from Beam. Thanks very much.